Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. All right, hey, everybody. I am so excited. Part two. Welcome to Brave. Uh, My name is Darren. My voice normally does not sound like this. It's much... uh, better. Uh, Anyway, I'm one of the pastors, and uh, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, This is our vision series this morning. Last weekend, we kicked it off, part one, and uh, the response has been uh, so encouraging. People are fired up. Are you fired up? Yeah, I am. And uh, so if you're joining us for the first time every year in the month of November, uh, we share the vision of where we're going. And so let's, let's, uh, let's go. Uh, Pull out of your uh, programs, if you will, this card, and uh, turn it to the to the side that's uh, black, and uh, look at that. You'll, we're going to follow along. These are what we call our team declarations. Those of you that go through the growth track, you always hear about these. Our team declarations are, I was born to change the world. I am part of the greatest cause on earth, and I will give my life to helping people find and follow Jesus. Last weekend, we talked about how God forms or shapes world changers Uh, from looking at the life of Moses, and we made the declaration that I was born to change the world, that you were born to change the world. Turn to the person next to you and say out loud, you're a world changer. Go ahead. So today we're going to talk about being part of the greatest cause on earth. And I I think a lot of church people, when they hear these words, the greatest cause on earth, they think of getting people to heaven. As if our goal is to get, you know, more people in here in the building and then get them all up there to heaven, right? You know, get them all in here and then get them all up there. And so when I was uh, growing up, the people that I admired and my spiritual leaders focused on that. And our hope was that in, that one day, uh, we would all get to escape down here, which uh, created an interesting tension for me. In fact, it, it wasn't an, an easy truth to share sometimes, telling people who desperately needed hope down here, you'll have to wait until you get up there, right? Uh, how many know that spiritual leaders that you love and respect, they can miss it too, right? And so I had to rethink some things and take a fresh look at some things. And so today I want to begin with laying a foundation of thought, a theology that is consistent with what Jesus taught us. We're following Jesus, amen? So we can better understand this great cause that we're to be a part of. And I think that we can all relate to being a bit confused when we read the New Testament. For example, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever read that, the kingdom of heaven? But in Mark and Luke and a little bit in John, he talks about the kingdom of God. Okay, which is it? For many Jews, those were two ways of saying the same thing. And because they were often reverent about not wanting to overuse or speak the name of God too often, they would sometimes, they would say heaven when they meant God. The trouble is, is that many followers of Jesus, reading Matthew's gospel particularly, Find Jesus saying things like, if you do this or if you do that, uh, you'll be called either the least or the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And because many Christians assume the name of the game 
is to get to heaven, they think that Jesus, when he says that, that he's talking about the kingdom, namely a place called heaven, where you might or might not go at the end of your life, and hopefully that you will. But Jesus himself makes it really clear in some of these very same passages that that's not what's going on here. And this brings us to our text today uh, in Matthew chapter 6. Pull out your program notes. You can follow along with me. If you didn't receive them when you went in, just raise your hand and the ushers will get those to you. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, it's something that you probably have memorized, the Lord's Prayer. And right in the middle of this prayer, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he says these words. You're to pray. You and I are to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is not a, a place called heaven where you go to escape the earth. The kingdom of heaven means the bringing the sovereign rule of heaven is coming to birth on earth through your life. And so God's plan is to bring heaven and earth together. That's why Jesus taught us to pray that. And he has made that possible and real through his son, Jesus Christ. And then those who are followers of Jesus discover the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit in a follower of Jesus' life can bring heaven and earth together right where you are in your life and through your life to other people. So we shouldn't think of heaven only as a place that we might end up one day, you know, if we're lucky, uh, if we do all the right things. But we should think of it as the reality which can come to be birthed in our lives here and now. Colossians says, Christ in you right now is the hope of glory. If you ask the uh, average Christian, what is your hope? They will say that <clears throat> your hope is about going to heaven or it's about in the resurrection. And you know what? Yes, for sure. That's part of our great hope, isn't it? Right? Heaven and the resurrection. But if we believe in heaven and the resurrection, how does that give us real hope right now? The people who are not following Jesus in our valley want to know how that connects to their everyday life. And so many Christians talk about, uh, they talk about as if their only hope is in heaven, which sounds a lot like, oh, you lost your job? Oh, who cares if you don't have a job? Be encouraged. You're going to heaven, Right? Or um, an earthquake, you know, wipes out your home. Oh, it's okay. Your real home is in heaven. Yeah, but my home is wiped out. Where am I going to live? I know, but your real home is in heaven. You're a follower of Jesus. If you get sick, it's okay. You're going to get a new body in heaven. Like fat, overweight, no worries. Everyone is in heaven. There's nobody overweight in heaven. It's amazing. You get, you get what I'm saying here? Now, of course, it's true that the Bible does warn us not to place our hope in this world alone. But the Bible doesn't say that your present life is something that you should just like suffer through, you know, get through, and that this life is just kind of a, a waste of time. No, there's, there's some of heaven to be experienced now in this life, and that there are good works for you and I to do to bring heaven to earth. Now think of it this way. There's the calling of Christ. You can write this in your notes. And there's the cause of Christ. The calling of Christ is when Jesus calls you to come and follow him into salvation. And he calls you. 
the cause of Christ is when after you've received Christ, you actively begin to engage your world, your everyday world, by bringing hope from heaven to earth. It's when the church decides to do the will of God and bring hope for humanity in all the ways that can matter and make a difference. It's when we hear the cries of the people in our own community and we do something about it. Now, I haven't slept all week, you can tell. And uh, I guess my neighbors went on vacation from their dog. And uh, they left their dog home alone. And they left the garage door wide open on the side. And the dog could come in and out uh, as, as he would want to. And so every night for five nights in a row, he starts barking at about 9 p.m. And then he continues till midnight and sometimes later. And this dog is relentless. Like he doesn't just hum a few bars and then stop. Uh, he barks and barks and barks and barks. I mean, this is an amazing dog. Um, it's, it, it, it's so bad that I've actually recorded the dog barking so that I can play it for my neighbor when he returns home. Now, you want to know how bad this is. Check this out. I think we've all had enough, right? Imagine that for three solid hours. Now, imagine that as the soundtrack to your evening every night of the week. I nicknamed this dog Lucifer. And I've tried everything. I mean, wearing earplugs, turning up the volume on the TV, blasting some U2. I mean, whatever I can do to to drown out the, the noise. But he never stops. And raising the volume of all the other things for a while. And then, you know, and then eventually I have to turn off the TV. And then when the music stops and when I'm lying there in bed and I still hear the bark and this dog is just relentless. And so last night I'm laying there knowing I need to get some sleep for today. And and I'm frustrated and I'm annoyed and I'm thinking things that I should not be thinking about what I'd like to do to Lucifer. (laughs) Like, like what would be legal? For me to do to Lucifer, right? And, and I realized that this situation will not go away on its own. Uh, until my neighbor returns and we talk, there's just no hope. Now, some of you are thinking, we'll call the police and animal control. I did all that too. Okay. But I'm thinking, there's just nothing I can do. And the cries will not go away. And then I begin to think about the cries of real injustice in our community and in our nation and in our neighborhoods. The cries will not go away. No matter how hard we try to rationalize what we're hearing, until we respond, the cries will not stop. That's what we talked about last week. The Hebrew children, their cries would not stop. They were in slavery. They were in pain. They were overburdened. And God heard the cries, and it got me thinking about 
everything that we're setting out to do here as a church. The cries of the people in our own community will not stop. Their needs are right in front of us. And maybe you've heard their needs. And maybe you've tried to drown out their cries. Maybe you've turned your head. That awkward moment when you're at the stoplight and there's someone right there begging for food or whatever they're begging for. And that awkward moment of just turning and looking the other way. We've all heard cries that we've ignored. But God's love is relentless. And he wants us to respond to the cries of people. And when you hear the cry and you respond, that's bringing heaven to earth. And the cause of Christ is you and I bringing real hope from heaven to earth right where people live. And we can do this. Let me tell you another story. You guys like stories? It's about a little town that's about an hour and a half from here. And uh, we started a church there years ago in Lincoln. And at the time, Lincoln was the fastest growing city in the state of California, three out of those five years. And saying that you're the fastest growing city can be misleading because it it sounds like you're really progressive and really forward thinking and, you know, a happening kind of place, but it was Lincoln. And, and at the time, at the time, the city had about 6,000 people and about 5,000 head of cattle. So you can get the picture, right? And the computer industry from Silicon Valley was moving there. And so they started calling that area for, for a time, Silicon Valley North, um, and then they built a new casino, Thunder Valley Casino. And uh, so the history of Lincoln, for me, the way I kind of referred to it was cow chip meets computer chip, and then it's all spent on a poker chip, right? <laughs> and that's, that's the background. Lincoln was kind of like a Norman Rockwell kind of community with a real heavy cowboy influence. And I'm telling you all this so that you'll understand. So one Christmas Eve, after service, I walked out behind a, a theater that our church had bought, and to see what the commotion was, and there was three police cars. You've got to imagine this. There are three police cars, and they have someone surrounded. And, and the someone was a drunk guy on a horse. Now, this is downtown area. And they were, they were giving him a DUI, which I know. I know, I know what you're thinking. Like, you, you're telling me if I drink too much and I ride a horse, I could get a DUI? Yeah. So uh, we didn't really have... Much crime in Lincoln, other than the drunk guy who got a DUI for riding a horse. And one time I was sitting at a cafe and a huge llama walked by. Like, it was just kind of an interesting place. But it was pretty drama-free. But in 1994, when we planted the church, the, the, the community was divided and millions of dollars in debt. And it was a hopeless situation. And the city council members were infighting. And the local news was printing articles that was purposely dividing the city much like what happens on a national level in our news. You can report news in a way that unites our nation, or you can report news in a way that divides our nation. And it's intentional. And so when people are in pain and needs are not being met, some people start to attack and react, and they make everything worse. You know who those, you, you, you see them every day, what they're doing. And then others look to bring unity and, and, and harmony and peace and real hope. And so I wanted to do something, so I met with our city manager, and I asked him what the unmet needs were in the city, and he began uh, to list need after need after need. But due to the lack of help and resources, uh, none of those needs were being met. 
And so I don't know how it works for you, but sometimes God will unexpectedly drop an idea or a thought in my head that's smarter than I am. And when it's smarter than I am, I know it's not me. And when it's helping people, I know it's God. When it's not helping people, I know it's the dog next door. Okay? So I asked the city manager, I said, uh, how about we create a volunteer center and we mobilize people and resources to meet our community's needs? And it would be a neutral organization serving with a community-wide agenda, and it would meet needs everywhere. He said, I love the idea. We invited all the community leaders together, the chief of police, superintendent of schools, chamber president, all the various club presidents, and we recruited volunteers from our church that I was pastoring in our community. And uh, with willing hands, we began to make our community better. We began to bring heaven to earth in a practical way. And a friend donated landscape materials, and 50 of us on a Saturday landscaped the entire city community center because they were too far in debt. They couldn't do it. We painted all the little league bleachers where the families gathered every week and played baseball. We painted over the graffiti on the sound walls along the freeway. Our, our high school needed a snack bar, so our church bought all the materials for the snack bar and worked with local contractors and our contractors, and we built the high school a snack bar. And then the high school needed tutoring for kids. And so we mobilized the senior adult community there in Sun City, and we provided 50 tutors for kids. And then we supported a community-wide counseling center for families. We collected wheelchairs and crutches and redistributed them throughout the community. The volunteer center was financially supported and resourced by our church, the school district, and the city. Imagine that, the church, schools, and the city working together to meet the needs of their community. In 2006, we were voted for and won the All-American City Award, the only city in that year in the entire state of California that received that award, all because of ideas that God just puts in your heart. And when God gives you the idea, and he will, and he already has and will continue to do, It's your choice whether or not to act on that idea. God's will in your life gets aborted all the time. He gives you an idea and a thought, and you think that's a great idea that's smarter than I am. Yes, but have you acted on it? So God wants to give you ideas that will help people to hear the cries in our valley. You live here for a reason. We are responsible for here. Now, you may not be called to start a volunteer center, or maybe you will, I I don't know, but it may be giving to make worthwhile things happen, but write this down in your notes. When you hear the cry and do something, you bring heaven to earth. That's joining the cause. That's getting off the sideline. That's living the story instead of just reading about it. It's experiencing the great adventure of life and not just watching the movie. So last weekend in part one, we taught how God heard the cries of the Hebrew people and he responded to his people by calling Moses to do something about it. Every single one of us as followers of Jesus are called to be deliverers. God heard the cries of the baby boys that were being killed and the girls who were being kept alive to become sex slaves for the palace. Do you know where the cries are coming from in our community? Since we moved here, we've been researching that, literally. Really trying to understand our community and our valley and our region. What needs exist in our community? Meeting those needs 
is the starting point of doing the will of God here in our region. We are, we are responsible to do the will of God in our region. Brave Church, how are you going to bring hope where we live? Here's our vision to bringing hope to humanity, bringing heaven to earth. Let's look back here at this card, if you will, on the other side, the light side of the card, and I want to walk you through what God's put on our heart for this coming year. First of all, we want to rescue children, helping the helpless. A new day for children seeks to recover girls that are ages 10 to 18 who are caught in the despair of sex trafficking and restore their stolen childhoods. Human trafficking is modern-day slavery, and God is hearing the cry. 84% of all the girls in the U.S. who are enslaved right now in sex trafficking are U.S.-born. The average age of a girl who is kidnapped and stolen is at the age of 13. 76% of those girls are just through innocently getting online in their own bedroom in their own home. Of the 2,000 organizations, 501c3, that people are donating to statewide in the state of California on human trafficking, great organizations, they're educating, that's fantastic, but only 2% of all those organizations actually rescue girls and then rehabilitate them. New Day is one of those. We want to be one of those. So that's what we're going to do. Right here in our own backyard in Oakland, in this valley, in this area, where girls are being stolen right in this Bay Area and all around this area, we're going to deliver young girls ages 10 to 18 who are caught in human slavery. We hear their cries. Tina Steam, right here in this valley, educates and empowers students in our community who are facing all kinds of issues. In our region, the number one cause of teen death is by accident. The number two cause of teen of death for a middle schooler, a middle schooler, high school and college is suicide. In San Ramon alone, there has been a 110% increase of teens becoming a threat to themselves. Every month, every month in San Ramon, there is an overdose every month, usually by a teenager or a young adult. Recently, a friend of mine was in a local high school here speaking to 3,000 students. He asked the students this question, do you personally know a friend that's talked about committing suicide? 400 hands went up. Tina Steam saves lives. This year alone, Tina Steam will speak locally to 15,000 students about suicide, sexting, bullying, stalking friends on Facebook, self-esteem issues. And we're going to help deliver our kids in our region. But it doesn't stop there. By the way, at any point that you want to clap or get excited about any one of these, you are more than welcome to do that. Or I'm going to play the barking dog uh, soundtrack. (laughs) The Hebrew people in Egypt, they were overburdened, they were overworked, and they were oppressed. They were forced to make brick with no straw. So we're going to help the families in our community overburdened families of San Ramon. According to the U.S. consensus data, 50% of the families who are renting right now in San Ramon are classified as overburdened. In fact, just on Friday morning, the news caught this. I don't know if they heard it from last week or how they, how, I don't know the connection, but they're now, they're, they're, they're staying at overburdened, meaning that most of their income is going to rent. 
So what we want to do is we want to provide Financial Peace University to these projects and areas where that we know uh, where they're living, where they're renting, and we want to provide that at no cost. We also want to develop, uh, we have a, some great leadership, some people to provide career development opportunities so they can get unstuck. Others are talking about a garden co-op for uh, overburdened families. In addition to being overburdened, the after-school care costs, parents are paying approximately $1,200 for after-school care. That's per child while they're at work. Now imagine you're a single mom or a single dad or one of these couples, and you're already overburdened by the rent, and now you have to pay $1,200 per child? That's extortion. That's not fair that that would happen in this day and age. And it's part of the nucleus that we've lost of our family where grandparents and relatives and families are not living together. They're spread all over. I get that. I understand that. But to have to pay $1,200 per child? There's $1,200, $2,400, $3,600, and my rent. I have nothing. I'm overburdened. I'm making brick with no straw. So we've been meeting for months behind the scenes, and we're creating a plan to transform the use of this church facility during the week to a safe haven for children. So what we're going to do is we're going to offer an after-school care program at a reduced price. We don't know what that price point will be yet, because we have to cover all of our costs, all of our teachers, what we need to do to the facilities and so forth to get it ready. And then we're going to offer those overburdened families a greatly reduced price to help relieve some of the burden. And then the profits from Brave Kids After School Care is going to go to help continue relieve burdened families and the children that are caught in human trafficking. We're called to bring heaven to earth here where we live. The next thing is spreading the gospel, online teaching. Our world is consuming content at a rate like never before. We we believe that this presents a unique opportunity for spreading the gospel by providing what we do here on Sunday online so that when people are searching the Internet and so forth, uh, they can listen to teaching. For every 100 people you see at Target, Only three are attending church. This is one of the greatest mission fields in the world. It's why we moved here. 96.3% of those in our region are not interested in following Jesus. So this gives us a powerful opportunity because the gospel actually changes people's lives. And when presented, you know, people aren't tired of hearing the gospel. They're tired of hearing wore out presentations of the gospel. So we want to encourage people online. Now, that's good. this backdrop needs to change. Some lighting stuff needs to change. And we need a video camera and so forth to get us camera ready for that. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. This year alone, in the last 10 months, we've had 241 salvations. Churches uh, sometimes talk about reaching the lost and being a, being a church for the unchurched, particularly if they're starting a new church, whatever the popular lingo is. I say that not to compare, but I want to say this, and it's worth knowing. When you give here, when you serve here, when you're committed here at Brave, you're actually joining a church family that's bringing heaven to earth, and we have a true, uh, uh, a proven track record. 
That means something. That's called credibility. People are finding Jesus here. And we don't just want to get them to heaven. We want to help make disciples and help them follow Jesus. And so one of the ways that we want to do that is by giving everyone who raises their hand a I have decided starter pack. It'll include, of course, the Bible, some materials, some key next steps, our growth track handbook, the curriculum that we developed this year. We want to publish that so that everybody can have that. We also want to put it in digital form. We want to prepare a place of ministry here. Our Brave Kids After School Care, uh, that's going to be a blessing to hundreds of people for many, many years, overburdened families that are paying $1,200 per child, need a safe place for their kids. And we can relieve some of that burden. And we can provide biblical teaching to their children while they're here. And we can love them when they're here. Now, it's going to take a while to roll this out. We have, we're going to start with 12 kids in January. By September, we want to unroll a whole lot more. We have to get, do some things to the facility, some new flooring, new chairs, tables, upgrade our kitchen uh, for snacks and stuff like that. Um, it, hey, it'd be a whole lot easier to just be a church that passes out flyers door to door. But we see things differently around here. We actually believe that we're part of the greatest cause on earth. We want to expand God's kingdom. We want to leave God's footprint in this valley by offering tangible solutions to the human cry of our area. One time I was with a group of leaders in a community, and we were all introducing ourselves. And as it went around the room, it stopped at my friend who was a, uh, a pastor, and, he's, and the judge said, hey, what are you doing here? He says, well, I pastor the church here. And he says, well, you guys have never made a difference. Why are you at this meeting? We have to point to tangible, real things that we're doing to help people. The kingdom of God, listen, when you begin to hear the cry and you begin to respond, you begin to respond to it, that's an act of war. That's saying we're not going to just stand by and do our own thing and try to drown out the, the cries But we're going to take our resources, we're going to take our talents, we're going to take our gifts and our ability to help other people. We are born to change the world. We are born to change the world. You are. Not not Pastor Darren is, although I am, but you're born to change the world. And when you start to hear the cries and you respond, you're going to start to change your world. So it starts here and now. Our kids' rooms need improvement. Our church building is an incredible resource, a blessing to the youth of our community. But one of the ways we can do this is through creating safe, fun, clean, friendly, inspiring environments where ministry can happen. 80 to 85% of all first-time decisions to follow Jesus happen under the age of 18. So we want to upgrade our rooms and make them amazing places for our kids. And this also complements then the overall vision of the Brave Kids After School program. It's just a win-win. Now, those are things that I'm going to ask you to commit to, to give to. I, I am not ashamed to ask. I'll ask you for money all day long because this is going to help people. I'm not ashamed of us taking offerings at our church because we do not misuse our finances, not one dime. We are operating this entire church on practically nothing. It's the equivalent of, I think, maybe five households' income, and we're operating the entire church on that. It's just been way lean for way too long in the giving category. This money, these resources go to help real people, and so I'm not ashamed to ask for that. Something I want you to pray about as a prayer goal is a full-time youth pastor 
Pastor Samuel's been serving in this role for the last two years, and he wears a lot of hats around here. Uh, he helps teaching. He helps leading around here. And, uh, but it's a season that we need to move into more focus in that area so that we have someone that's fully devoted full-time to our youth ministry. So would you pray about that? Would you do that? The other thing is our new auditorium down the road. Um, did you know that we have the last buildable acreage for a church site in this region? Now let that sink in for a moment. It's not about the building. It's about what we use it for. Let me be clear. We don't just build a building to build a building. We want to provide a place for the gospel to go out until Jesus returns all throughout the Bay Area while when we are dead and long gone. You see, when you build a strong, robust ministry complex on this hill, it means that I'm giving to God's mission and purpose from this generation to the next generation to the next generation. Think about this. We are the generation that is responsible to steward this land. We are the generation that gets the opportunity to ensure for a lifetime that this land will always go for the purposes of God. This is the last space of buildable land in the church in this valley. What an incredible opportunity for us to steward. So we cannot... And we will not give up this incredible high ground that God's given us. There are powers of darkness that seek to kill, steal, and destroy those that are in the Bay Area. Isn't that true? And if ever there was a place that God would want a church of hope to be raised up and established with deep, strong roots, it's right here in the Bay Area, overlooking 680, where a million people a year pass by. When God provides, in addition to the after-school care program and all of that, You know what our new facility will provide? All of our youth programs, all of our children programs, a coffee shop where people can come here and hang out together and uh, during the week, work from here if you want, a place to build community, bring your families where you can thrive. This building right here that we're in, it's going to be torn down one day. There'll be a two-story building. It's a student center for youth. Imagine in this valley, the teens that I just described to you It'll be glass on this side. You'll be able to look out over the entire valley, a two-story building dedicated to the, to the children and the youth of our community. That's, that's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. So here's our goal for our hope. Those are two prayer goals. Our hope for humanity is this, is that we want to raise $100,000 for the next four months. In the next four months, $100,000. We'll probably need more than $100,000, but that's going to get us started. I believe in stepping stones and believing in being faithful with our resources as they come in. So $100,000 is a great start. Some of you have said, well, hey, can you break it down on where the monies are going to go? We don't know the exact cost of how it's going to break down because we don't know what all is going to come in. It's kind of like if you start a remodel in your kitchen or your house, one thing leads to the next and to the next. The next thing you know, the kind of thing, I didn't know it cost that much. So, uh, so that's what we're talking about. What I can say is that every dime that you give to Hope for Humanity is going to go to these things. And these focuses are what we believe are the keys to our community to fulfill the cause of Christ this year as a church. And I think that's what matters. So how can you join the cause? There's a card, pull it out, called Join the Cause. Go ahead and pull it out. You can look at it. Um, in the month of November, give, this is your giving above your tithes and offerings. I say this every year. I, I still get people that don't get it. Your regular tithes and offerings, your year-end giving supports everything that we do here. It's so vitally important. 
This is called generosity. This is giving at a whole nother level. And this is, uh, for the month of November, giving a one-time gift and then a three-month pledge for December, January, February. Uh, and uh, someone last week, they were so moved that they said, well, can I just give it all in one lump sum? I, Man, if you're able to do that, of course you can. That's fantastic. We had uh, one of our ushers this week went in for cancer surgery on the gurney, hands to one of our ushers this card in an envelope because he didn't know if he's going to come out. And by the way, he came out. He's doing great. He's, he's do, but, but it was very generous. I, it made me want all of you to be on gurneys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding about that. Just kidding, all right? Okay, that's great. So here's what I, if you're hearing this for the first time, I, I, I won't say please don't give, but what I do want to say is please pray. Don't, don't just respond impulsively. Hear what God wants to say. For those of you that were here last week, you need to respond today or next week because you've had time to pray about this and to respond to it. Now, let me give you an idea of what this is going to take because it'll require some significant resources and you have to think differently. So for us to raise 100000 in four months, that's going to mean probably about a $20,000 gift, one or two of those, three or four, 10000 5000 a whole lot of 1000 and so forth to make that happen. But here's something I want to share with you. I don't think I've ever, ever done this in 37 years, uh, and I guess because I've just been shy about it. But this is how Tracy and I process our giving above our 10% every month. Here's how we process that giving. Uh, It's there in your notes. How do I decide what to give when something like this comes up? You're going to want to keep this. It'll help you in your giving in the future. First of all, number one, I can give out a reason or by revelation. Revelation means I wait to hear from God. And I give what he wants me to give. It's not what reason is what I think I can afford and like, okay, this won't hurt me if I give this. That's just reason. That's not generosity. That's you have the money and you're just giving it. Uh, But revelation is I want to hear from God. I I just want to be obedient to him. And that's all we ask you to do. Number two is does the amount I am praying about giving stretch my faith? Does it require some faith? Second uh, Corinthians, God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that there will not be enough, not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. God may have you give more than what we are asking for. Generosity is a spiritual matter. It's not a matter of reason and human logic. Third, am I leading the way and my love for Christ and his church. I turned in, Tracy and I turned in our first giving for November this morning. Am I leading the way in my love for Christ and his church? I am not giving you an order. I'm not saying you must do it. I want to make that really clear. God loves a cheerful giver. You need to respond to what God says in your heart. Number four, does this amount represent a genuine sacrifice for me? I'm not calling you to sacrifice. Sacrifice is your own response in your heart to whatever God is saying to you. David said, I will not sacrifice to my God an offering that costs me nothing. If you'll sincerely ask those questions, uh, you'll be able to arrive at a specific amount that God will want you to give. 
and the amount will almost always be larger than the first number that you hear that pops in your head because that's just kind of your reasoning, if you will, your natural mind. So we want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. We've heard the cries of the people, the children, the youth in our community, and we hear the cries of the overburdened families in our area. And so we want to respond to that. Would you stand with me? And we're going to worship because I think it's easiest to hear God in worship. And as we're worshiping, I want you to think about what God's saying to you. I want you to hear and respond to that. And then I'll come back up in just a few moments.